Sentire Media. Hello everyone and welcome to A History of Italy. Episode 48, Bye Bye Byzantine, The End of Byzantine Italy, Part 2. In the first part of this little mini-series on the Byzantine presence in Italy, we left off in the 660s with the Lombard king Rothery threatening the capital of the Byzantine exarchate itself, Ravenna, but not being able to take it. Rothery did, however, take advantage of the power vacuum after the exarch had been killed at the Battle of Sulterna to take the rest of Byzantine Liguria. The year 663 saw an attempt by Eastern Roman Emperor Constantine II directly and personally intervene in Italy. However, he was unable to defeat the Lombard Duke of Benevento, and after spending enough time on holiday in Rome to steal the bronze tiles off the roofs of the Pantheon and have them shipped back to Constantinople, he was assassinated in Syracuse in Sicily in 668. I don't think he was assassinated by a lover of roof tiles, though. There must have been some other reason. Before we leave the 600s, we need to pop into 680 the year in which a peace was made between the Byzantines and the Lombards, in which the former recognized the holdings of the latter over a hundred years after their first invasion. The Eastern Empire was starting to understand that they might someday have to give up. This was further confirmed by the fact that the southern Lombards took absolutely no notice of the peace and continued to expand. By now, the Byzantines holding in the south were reduced to the south of Calabria on the west side and Gallipoli and Otranto on the eastern side. As the 7th century moved to the 8th, the cities grew more independent and rebellious under the exarch, who was often a Greek-speaking direct representative of the emperor. The Duke of Rome in this period was also a direct representative of Constantinople or the exarch to guarantee that the person chosen would be above local politics. The Dukes of Venice and Naples, however, were by now from local nobility. Still, the cities did not have Byzantine armies but local militias. So, these local nobles basically had their own armies. The start of the 8th century saw religion intervening to push the east and the west further apart. When, in 711, the Monophysite Philippicus Bardanus became emperor, the Italian authorities refused even to recognize him. If you would like to hear more about the whole Monophysite issue, I suggest you look up the history of the papacy or the history of Byzantium. I have a little trouble getting my head around ecclesiastical matters. I just assume a glazed, puzzled look and 
get a slight headache. Later in the century, the iconoclast controversy saw Pope Leo III pitted against Constantinople, and when the continued Arab raids forced the authorities to increase taxes, the locals refused to pay. The 700s continued to see a lot of toing and froing with the Lombards, and everyone getting involved: the Byzantines, the Lombards. The local dukes, with alliances going in every direction possible. In the year 732, Ravenna was taken for the first time by King Liutprand, and in 751, King Astolf took the city definitively, putting an end to the Byzantine Exarchate in Italy. The fall of the Exarchate of Italy was also, unbeknown to the Lombards who had caused it. Perhaps their own downfall. Indeed, it was in this period that the Pope in Rome realized that, with the Byzantines now unable to help him, he needed new protection. That protection lay just to the northwest of Italy, the Franks. Indeed, we saw in episode eleven and twelve how the Franks put an end to the Lombards' domination in the north of Italy. And a lot of what they took was given to Rome, setting up the Papal States. That, however, as they say of the never-ending story, is another story. The fall of the Exarchate in Ravenna left the Byzantines with Sicily and some land in the toe and heel of the boot of Italy, as well as nominal control over Naples and other surrounding cities, as well as Venice. But these territories. Detached from southern Italy and Sicily, were growing increasingly independent. The situation was ruled over from Sicily by a figure called the Stratego, who was not a board game but a person, and what was left was divided into teme, an administrative division. However, Sicily did not remain in imperial hands for much longer. For as we saw in episode seventeen, the ninth century saw the gradual Arab takeover of Sicily, starting in eight twenty-seven, and ending with the definitive fall of Syracuse in eight seventy-eight, which also marked the decline of the city of Syracuse in favor of Palermo, which became the Arab capital of Sicily. The Arabs also moved into southern Italy. Which, with continuous raids and even settling in certain areas, at a certain point, holding cities as far north as Bari for a time. The loss of almost all of their holdings in Italy convinced Constantinople to concentrate resources on the navy, making sure they didn't lose their domination over the Mediterranean, which they were able to do for a time, thanks also to the Venetian fleet. However, there was no way to completely stop the Arab raids from Sicily to the south of Italy, and from Spain and the Balears to Sardinia and Corsica. To this day, if you have the good fortune of visiting Puglia, you will find a whole series of Torri Saracene, lookout towers against the Saracens, that, in a pinch, could protect a large part of the local population. In this period. 
the empire also attempted a series of diplomatic offensives, trying an alliance with the Western Roman Emperor against the Arabs, then the Lombards against the Arabs, with some limited success. Thanks to the strength of the Byzantine navy, they were able in the late 9th and early 10th century to reconquer a good part of southern Italy, Calabria and Puglia. Unfortunately, by this time, after decades of Arab raids, there wasn't much there to rule over. The area was seriously depopulated. Those who were captured by the Saracens were forced to pay a ransom for their freedom, or else be sold into slavery. For example, when in 867 a Frankish monk, Bernard, found himself in Taranto, then still held by the Saracens, he saw what he claimed to be around 9,000 people who were ready to be shipped off to Africa as slaves. There was also a case in 878 of a certain Radenando who donated half of his lands to the monastery of Monte Cassino because his only son and heir had been captured by the Arabs and had disappeared. When finally they had managed to carve out some lands for themselves, the Byzantines settled back into the difficult balance of resisting the Arab raids and the constant desire of the Lombards, who were now princes, to expand. It was due in particular to the hostilities of the Prince of Benevento that the capital was moved to Bari, further away to the east. The fertile lands of Puglia that the Byzantines had taken back from the Arabs and the Lombards were always eyed greedily by the two latter peoples. By this time, they ruled over people that spoke mainly Latin, except for the southernmost Salento area, where they spoke Greek. The Stratego built a palace for himself in Bari, a building that today is the Basilica of St. Nicholas, that same saint who was the inspiration for Santa Claus. The first half of the century went decently, you could say. The Byzantine navy was very strong, and although the Arab raids continued, they were often turned away, and the Byzantine ships were reported all the way up in Provence. The cities of Capua, Gaeta, Naples and Benevento all ended up paying homage to them, although Benevento not too willingly. The relations with the papacy in Rome were also good in this period. It was the time of Marozia's pornocracy, which you can hear about in episodes 21 and 22. The coinage in use at this time showed the by now consolidated strength of the Easterners in the peninsula with the Byzantine numismo in use, although you could also easily find the Arab Tari. When a new emperor, a strong general with a great sense of his own dignity, came to the imperial throne of Constantinople in 963, things looked like they could really take a turn for the better. The new emperor was Nicephorus II Focus. Now in Italian, that is foca, which means seal, as in the animal. So we have a seal emperor. Importantly for the Eastern Empire, 
the timing just coincided with another strong emperor in the West, Otto I. By 966, Otto had consolidated his hold over the north, becoming king of the kingdom of Italy, and he was now stretching his influence south. Indeed, Capua and Benevento had already switched their allegiance to the German king. Focus the seal tried a bit of diplomacy, perhaps seeing if Otto wanted to bounce a ball back and forth on their noses, and he did a lot of clapping and happy barking, all to no avail. The consequent attempt at a military intervention also didn't get very far, leaving everything more or less the way it had been in the beginning. The new complications in the situation posed by the growing influence and power of the Western Empire prompted the Byzantine administration to create a new position with great power, the Catepano. In a list of imperial offices compiled between 971 and 975, the Catepano ranked 28th overall, with the Stratego coming in at number 62. Who knows what Emperor Nicephorus could have achieved with his military skill and determination. I would imagine that, in any case, with the Italian holdings so far away, they could not have resisted indefinitely against the closer Ottonians. In any case, Phocas was assassinated, and the emperor who took his place in 969, John Tzimekis, made peace with Otto. This peace only lasted as long as Otto did, and with his son Otto II, the excuse to deal with the Arab threat also meant he could reopen hostilities with the Byzantines. We saw, however, in episode 22, how Otto II was severely defeated at the Battle of Capocolonna, or Punta Stilo, or the Battle of Calabria, depending on where you want to place it and what you want to call it. In any case, it was a battle that really messed up the political situation in southern Italy, with the death of the cream of the southern Italian nobility. The end of the 10th and the start of the 11th century saw continued raids by the Arabs. In 991, Taranto was threatened. In 994, Matera was taken, and in 997, the area around Bari was devastated. Then, in 1002, Bari itself, the capital of what was now known as the Cataponate, was under siege by the Arabs, and was only saved thanks to the intervention of a Venetian fleet under the command of Doge Pietro II Orsoleo. The growing dissatisfaction of the locals with Byzantine rule erupted in the early 1000s, as we have seen with the rebellion of Melo from Bari, which we spoke about in episode 31. Serious as this rebellion was, it did not represent the fatal element to the Byzantines in this period. That was the appearance of the first Norman mercenaries in the various struggles between the Lombard dukes and princes and the Byzantines among the dukes and princes themselves and against the Arabs. Despite this ominous presence, things looked pretty good in the 1020s with Eastern Emperor Basil II preparing a great expedition made up of Russians, 
Turks, Varangians, Valachians and Macedonians that was unfortunately cut short due to the death of the emperor himself in 1025. Leading an expedition does become tricky when one is dead. Also in this period, a new tema was formed, that of Lucania, and the 1030s saw a possible opportunity to get a foothold in Sicily. The opportunity presented itself in the form of a struggle between the Calbid Emirate of Sicily and the Zirid dynasty in Africa. The Sicilians asked the Byzantines for help, and an army led by General George Maniakes, along with a contingent of Normans led by Prince Guaymar of Salerno, even took Syracuse. However, General Maniakes was deposed on suspicion of treason, and the Normans, unhappy with their share of booty, packed up and went home. By now, the Normans had started to settle down in southern Italy, and they had now had a chance to see the weak situation in the Arab Emirate in Sicily. By 1042, Byzantine troops, with little or no support from the local population, had been pushed back, and had only Bari, Brindisi, Trani, Taranto and Otranto. The locals only too late discovered that the Normans were perhaps worse than the Byzantine taxes. By this time, a local, Argiro, Archiros, son of Melo, was nominated Catapan and manoeuvred to have the Norman leader, Drogo Hauteville, assassinated. However, this gave way to the rise of Robert Giscard and his rapid expansion. Add to this the break with the Pope in the Great Schism of 1054, and you have one less friend for the Byzantine Empire in Italy. This was painfully clear when in 1059, Pope Nicholas II recognized the Norman rule over Puglia and Calabria. The end was just a matter of time. It came in the year 1071, with the fall of the Byzantine capital, Bari. As always, thanks very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my lovely Patreon donors. I may in the last few episodes have skipped someone because I've just updated the list, so apologies if I have. That is the Anita and Giuseppe Garibaldi level, Ed, Jeff, Joshua and Sean, the Matilda Di Canossa and Giuseppe Mazzini level, Benjamin, Maddie, Roberta, Scott and YR, the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Ben, Silane, Chris, Dean, Ignazio, Jay, Caitlin, Kevin, Shelby, Stephen, and Vincent, and the Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri level, Sen. Thank you very much. If you are counting, you will have seen that we have arrived at 21, which is coming of age and also my favourite number, so to celebrate, I have launched on Patreon a series of personalised thank you videos for the Patreons. If, like them, you'd like to help support the show, you can go over to patreon.com slash ahistoryofitaly and become a patron. You can also get in touch, hello at ahistoryofitaly.com, and if you want to, go over to our website, 
to have a look at timelines, pictures, or click through to our social media. Thanks again to everyone for listening, and until next time, arrivederci. Hello, good sir. Um, who are you? I am Roubert. And you? I am uh, Guaymar. Um, who, who are you fighting for? Suzy, I'm fighting for the prince of um, uh, somewhere. Ah, okay. W- what do you mean today? Well, yesterday I was fighting for the Byzantines. Ah, wow. I am fighting for the Byzantines uh, today. So, uh, are we allies? No, I, I don't think so. Maybe today I'm against the Byzantines. Ah, well. Um, should we try to kill each other then? I suppose. I thought I am a bit hungry. Ah, uh, tell you what. Let's go and uh, have a spot of lunch and a nice nap. And we'll meet back here in the afternoon and see if we're still enemies. Cusesia. See you later. Arrivederci. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.